Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit whbcwaco.org. Yeah, this morning, I'm going to talk to you about suffering. <laughs> Doesn't sound like a great topic, does it? Uh, suffering, did you know that uh, when you become a follower of Christ, you're probably going to suffer? You're probably going to go through some times of difficulty, some times of hardship, and you shouldn't be surprised. Uh, now, that's not normally what we think of when we think of becoming a, a Christian. We, we don't uh, really put that high on our list. You know, it's not one of those things that when we're going through the suffering, uh, we don't normally ask, oh, God, what are you trying to do here? Lord, I don't quite understand what's happening. What we normally do is, that, Lord, I don't know why I'm going through this. I'm your follower. Why am I going through such a thing? You see, we think it's strange. When we go through suffering, we think that when we become a follower of Jesus, everything ought to be good. Everything ought to be great. But, so we're surprised when it happens. But Peter says in verse 13 of chapter uh, 4 of 1 Peter, he said, Dear friend, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. Peter knew what he's talking about. Most scholars believe that this was written right around the time of Nero's persecution in Rome. In A.D. 64, Nero burned Rome, and he blamed it on the Christians. So as a result, Christians were rounded up, and they were persecuted because of the name of Christ. Many of them were crucified. Some of them were thrown in, uh, into the den with the lions. Some of them were sewn up in leather tarps with rats to eat them alive. Others were thrown to the wild dogs. They suffered for the name of Christ. They suffered for being a Christian. And Peter says... Don't be surprised by that. It's all part of God's plan. God has a plan that that we can't see. God is doing a work, and this is one of those unusual, one of those strange, out-of-the-ordinary things that we can't understand, but God is working in the midst of it. Now, when we think about suffering, it brings a, a whole new dimension to our Christian faith. It also helps us answer that question, why do people suffer? Why do people go through troubling times? Why do we as believers suffer? Why do we as believers go through troubling times? Go ahead and open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 12 through 19 as we're coming down the home stretch of our study through 1 Peter under that heading, Timeless Truths in Troubling Times. Jesus said in this world, you will have trouble. You will have trouble. He didn't say you might, be, might you could. He said you will have trouble. So because we know we're going to have trouble, it seems like to me we ought to know what we can do in those situations. So we're going to look at these words this morning, 1 Peter chapter 4, 12 through 19, under the heading, Suffering is in the plan. Peter writes this, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the Spirit of God and for the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with, with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, 
What will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to the faithful Creator and continue to do good. I'm going to give you four truths or four ideas from this passage. First, suffering is good for us. Peter says first that suffering is good for us because it purifies us. We get that from the word trial in verse 12. He said, do not be surprised at the painful trial. This word for trial is a word that's used in the refiner's fire when, when a, a, refi a, a refiner of precious metals would run the copper, he'd run the gold, he'd run the silver, all the precious metals through the fire to burn off the impurities in that and then he'd scrape it off the top. That's where that comes from. So as a refiner's fire, God sometimes puts us or he allows us to go through the fires, what? To burn off the impurities, to purify our faith. You've all heard that old expression that a faith which cannot be tried cannot be trusted. And that is true. That is true. We need to keep in mind that we're going through trials and we're going through difficulties. We need to keep in mind that God is purifying us to make us more and more like Jesus. I remember reading a story about an atheist farmer who lived next door to a Christian farmer. They grew pumpkins. And during a particularly bad season, the atheist farmer uh, saw all of his crops saved, all of his pumpkin crops were saved, where the Christian, because of the freeze, lost every one of his pumpkin crops. And so the atheist used this as an opportunity to chide the Christian. He said, if your God is so good, why did he allow me to have a good pumpkin crop and yours to die? And the Christian farmer responded and said, my God's not growing pumpkins, he's growing men. And that is the truth for you and I. We need to understand that sometimes when we go through trials, when we go through times of difficulty, when we go through suffering, that God is purifying us. He's shaping us in more and more into the image of Christ. So if you're going through some difficult times, you ought to see it as a great compliment. Because God is saying, I have something special in mind for you. And I have you in a furnace because I believe your faith in me will grow because of this trial. He believes that you will come out better on the other end. So not only is our suffering good for us because it purifies us, but Peter says our suffering is good because it identifies us. He says in verse 13, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of, sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed in you. Peter is saying that we are partners with Christ in suffering. When we experience hardship, when we go through times of difficulty, it IDs us with Christ. We know for a fact that Jesus suffered, not just in his time upon the cross, but throughout his life he suffered ridicule, abuse, criticism, threats. When we suffer, in many ways, we're identifying with Christ. Paul put it this way in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. Paul says, I want to be identified with Christ. I want to look more and more like Jesus when I'm going through that. When you and I suffer and we respond in the right way, it identifies us with our Lord and it also helps us draw closer to Him. And not only that, He's drawing closer to us. If we are going through suffering this morning, if you're going through a time of difficulty this morning, say, thank you that I'm identifying with Jesus and His suffering. 
So suffering is good for us because it purifies us. It identifies us. But Paul, Peter also says it glorifies us. Look at verse 13, that latter part. So that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. The first part of this verse, he says, we rejoice now. Verse 13, but we rejoice. That's that, re we rejoice now. At this very moment, when you're going through suffering, you should be rejoicing. I don't know about y'all, I don't feel much like, like rejoicing when I'm going through trials. Uh, I, I, I don't want to do that. But Peter says we're supposed to do that. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And he, this is revealed to us in Acts chapter 5, verse 41. The early apostles, they did this. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. I don't much feel like that. I have a long way to go. And if I have a feeling that I look around this room, there's others of you that are in that same boat with me. We don't particularly like that. But according to Jesus, according to Peter, we're supposed to rejoice when we're going through those times of trials. We're going through those times of difficulty. It's because it's at that time that you're really, really experiencing the glory of God in your life. Now, we know ultimate, our ultimate glory is in the future. We know that the trials we, we deal with now can't compare to the glories we will experience when we get to heaven. We know that. But, but according to Peter, we can experience that glory right now at this time. Look what he says in verse 14. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. He said we can experience it right now at this very moment. He says the glory of God will rest upon the believer. Think of it this way. Think of the, the Stephen. Stephen was the first martyr in the Bible, in the New Testament. He's the first martyr. It says that when he was being killed, when he was being stoned to death, it said his face shone like the glory of God, like the face of an angel. What happened? The glory of God came upon him, and he was able to basically just go to sleep. We see the same thing throughout the Bible. In the Old Testament, we have the story of the tabernacle. In the tabernacle, it says that, that the, the glory of God would come and fill the presence of the tabernacle. And the people could see the glory of God in the tabernacle. And when they saw that, they knew that God was with them. God was with them every step of the way. And we see that throughout the pages of the Old Testament, how the glory of God shines upon the people and it works on the people in much the same way. The glory of God will, will reside, it will rest upon the child of God who is going through the suffering and the difficulties of life. The Holy Spirit will, be, will put His resting peace and His resting power upon the person. And somehow or other we, we get that thing and the peace of God that transcends our ability to understand it will rest upon us and get us through those times of difficulty. God's glory will literally rest upon us The point is, even if you are abused and you are accused, God will place His hand of blessing upon you. And God will bestow upon you His presence during that time. So suffering is good for us. Second thing, suffering allows us to examine ourselves. Peter gives us a warning in this passage. He says, when you're suffering, take a good look at yourselves. Make sure you're suffering because of your relationship with Jesus, not because of some boneheaded decision you made in your life. Look at verse 15. He says, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. I know what you're asking. Is Peter talking about Christians? 
Is, is Peter talking about Christians when he talks about murderers? When he talks about criminals, can Christians be murderers and criminals? Well, let me tell you something. You'll be surprised what Christians can do when they get out of the will of God. You'll be surprised what followers of Jesus when they do when they do not surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You will be surprised what they can do. Peter is saying, don't suffer because of your own sins. Don't suffer because of things that you're doing. Now, I'm not going to focus on those first three, murderers and, and criminals or thieves. I'm supposing there's none of those in here. Let me talk about that fourth word, meddlers. <laughs> meddlers. King James Version uses the word busybodies. You ever heard that word before? Uh, you ever, you know, busybodies, meddlers? He, he talks about it. That pretty much includes all of us, I think, uh, as we think about that, what is a busybody? What is a meddler? Uh, there's someone who butts into the affairs of someone else with the intention of telling them what to do. <laughs> They're the individual who's sticking their noses in somebody else's business. A busybody, a meddler, is someone that wants to tell you how to run your life and tell you what to do. Do you know there are some Christians like that? I know you find that hard to believe. I'm sure there's none in our church, Right? We don't have any busybodies of meddlers, uh, uh, but, but you'll be surprised that there's, there are some Christians like that. Uh, they want to uh, tell you what you should do and what you shouldn't do. Uh, they, they, they believe it's their job to be the Holy Spirit to you and, and try to tell you how to live your life. So they go around prying into your life when what they should be doing is praying about your life. And so they're out there and, and they're being a busybody and they're meddling in somebody's life trying to tell you what to do. And all of a sudden somebody fires back at them and says, hey, get out of my business. And they go, well, well, I'm just a martyr for the faith. No, you're not a martyr. You're a meddler. You're a meddler. You're a busybody. And you brought this on yourself. So don't pretend to be holier than thou when you're really acting more like a devil. Why? Why? Remember what we learned last week? Because love covers over a multitude of sins. It does not broadcast them. It does not broadcast them. It covers them over. But as a meddler, you think it's your job to tell people how to live their life. He's saying, be careful. Be careful. And when you find yourself suffering, ask if you've caused this problem by your own behavior. Or are you suffering for being a Christian? Which is what he says in verse 16. He says, however, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. That word Christian, it's only used two other times in the Bible. The word Christian was used to identify those who are followers of Jesus. But here's the thing. It originally wasn't intended as a compliment. It was a complaint. It was a criticism. It was a slander. But Christians begin to take it as a term of endearment. Yeah, Christians, little Christ, followers of Jesus. That's who we are. He said, if you're suffering, be sure that you are suffering as a Christian. That's the reason he talks about that. He said, make sure you're suffering because of Christ. Make sure you're suffering because of the name of of Jesus. Make sure you're suffering because your life is Christ-like. He says, if that's what you're doing, don't be ashamed. 
But praise God that you bear that name. Peter said, examine your life. When you're going through a time of suffering and you're going through the trials and the tribulations and the temptations of life, ask yourself, am I doing this because I'm suffering for Jesus or am I doing this because of stupid decisions that I've made in my own life? Third truth. Suffering helps us to see the bigger picture. Suffering helps us to see the overall plan and the scope of the providence of God. God uses suffering as a component of the whole aspect of His judgment. In verse 17, He's going to talk about judgment for believers and judgment for unbelievers. First, let's look at what He says about believers. Verse 17, look what it says. For, for it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. With the family of God. The family of God is better translated house of God. That seems to be the, the general idea. Some, some commentators equate this with Ezekiel chapter 9. And others equate it to Malachi chapter 3 or a, co a combination of both. But when we start hearing about judgment in the house of God, we get uncomfortable. I thought we were excluded from judgment. I thought that judgment was passed on to Jesus Christ. So what does Peter mean? What's Peter talking about that he's going to judge and the judgment is going to begin in the house of God? He says, you're going through some troubling times. And when you're going through troubling times, you're going to be persecuted for your faith. And it's going to be a time of testing for the church. It's going to be a time of testing for the house of God. God was about to put the church through a time of testing. And he was going to find out who's an authentic follower of Jesus and who's a hypocrite. Who's an authentic follower and who a hypocrite. I know that, that that comes as a shock to you that we'd actually find that in God's Word. But the New Testament teaches this truth. Jesus teaches this truth over and over and over in his own, in his own teaching. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God, but only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. In the parable of the wheat and the weeds, he talks about weeds growing right smack dab in the middle of the wheat. How did they get there? How did they get there? Satan sold them in there. He put them right smack dab in the middle of the wheat. Another story he uses, Matthew 25, he talks about there's coming a time that God will separate the sheep from the goats. How did they get there to begin with? He'll separate the sheep from the goats. All those that did the will of God, he'll put away the sheep. All those that did not, he'll separate his goat. The thing is that we don't know who they are. We don't know who they are. And then he also talks about it, that there'll be those individuals that will come into the church. They will look religious. They will look holy. They will look spiritual. But in reality, they are wolves in sheep's clothing. What does all this say? That's just four passages. Plus this one that Peter says. Well, what's he talking about? Peter is saying there's, coming, there's going to come a time when the church will be purified through their trials and through the sufferings. And when things get hard and when, when your faith is put to, put to the test, many of them will be, be proven to be fake believers. They were religious, but they really weren't.
followers of Jesus. They did not follow through. They were fair weather believers. And when the expectations is raised, when the demands of discipleship are raised, they will be the ones that will fall, fall away because they're not willing to pay the price. They're not willing to pay the price to be a follower of Jesus. And they will prove that their faith was not genuine. It was not true. They were hypocrites and not authentic. Peter adds this phrase in the first part of verse 18. If it's hard for the righteous to be saved. If it's hard for the righteous to be saved. Peter is saying it's difficult for even the best people to be saved. Even the best people. And then he says if that's the way it is with believers. What about unbelievers? Is that the way it is for those who say they follow Jesus? What about those who totally reject Jesus? It says in verse 17, and if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? What will happen to those individuals? Notice the progression of his thought in verse 17. He talks about those who do not obey the gospel. They refuse to believe the truth. They do not embrace the gospel message. They don't believe that that's the truth. They disregard it. And then verse 18, he says, then they become ungodly. What will become of the ungodly? You see what happens? They reject the truth. They deny the gospel. Then they become ungodly. What does it mean to be ungodly? It means they disregard God. They have no interest in the things of God. And listen, they're all around us. They're all around us, people who disregard God, people who disregard the gospel. They're ungodly. They're all around us. Notice what happens next. He says, and the sinner. You notice the progression of thought. They deny the gospel. They become ungodly, and they become a sinner. We don't like to use that word today in churches. Oh, we should never call anybody a sinner. But there it is, in black and white, in God's word. He says, they are sinners. They are a rebellion to God. They're a rebellion to the truth of God. They are sinners. They're lost without Jesus. These individuals are rebels and they're hostile to God. If it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? If it's hard for the religious to be saved, what will happen to the ungodly and the sinner, let me tell you what happened to them. They won't be around the throne of God. Where will they be? They'll be in death. They'll be in judgment. They will be at the great white throne of judgment is where they will be. And they will be in the lake of fire. What a terrible thing that happens to these individuals that they will not spend eternity in the presence of a God who loves them and created them to have fellowship with Him. So what do we do? What do we do? How do we endure the suffering? That's what Peter tells us in verse 19. He says, so then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to the faithful Creator 
and continue to do good. He says, when you're going through suffering, and you're suffering for the right reason, put yourself in the hands of God. He says, commit yourselves to God. Commit is a banking term. It means to deposit something valuable into a place for safekeeping. In this, in this case, what are we doing? We're committing ourselves to our Creator. We're committing ourselves to our faithful Creator. The same God who created you has the power to sustain you in the midst of suffering, in the midst of difficulty. When all this is happening, when you're going through times of suffering, you're going through times of difficulty, just pray to God. Say, God, I don't know what you are doing. God, I don't know why you're allowing this to happen in my life. I don't know the purpose, God, of what you're doing. But God, I want you to know this. I commit my life to you. And I trust you. And I trust you. And I'm putting myself in your care. And I'm trusting you to do it. But not only does he say that we are to be we are to commit ourselves to our faithful creator. Notice what he says. And continue to do good. Continue to do good. He said, don't grow weary in doing good. And, and, and don't give up doing what's right. Now, the idea of this is that in order to continue doing good, it means you have to start doing good to begin with. You can't continue something if you've never done it in the past. He said, so don't just commit yourself to God, but continue to do good. But you know what we do? Come on, you know what we do. We throw a pity party, don't we? Oh, I don't know why I'm going through this. And we begin to cry, and we begin to whine. And when, when you go through trials, and you go through difficulties, and you go through those testing times and those troubling times, the devil begins to whisper in your ear. He begins to whisper, why don't you just give up on church? It's a waste of time. You're not getting out of your problems because you're going to church. So why don't you just give up? And let me tell you something. When you're going through the testing times and you're going through the suffering and you're going through the hard times, that is the time you need to continue doing what is right. That's the time you keep on keeping on and you keep being faithful and you keep doing what you had always been doing. You keep doing good. And you keep doing what's right. And Jesus is our ultimate example. What did he do? When he was up on the cross and he was suffering, suffering immense pain and agony, what did he say? He said, Father, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And once he'd made that, he said, I can endure this. I can take this. And he kept right on doing exactly what God had called him to do. To suffer for your sins and for my sins and to pay the price so that we would not have to pay that price if we are followers of Jesus. And I want you to hear me on this, friends. I am not talking. Do you have your names on a roll at a church? Church cannot save you. It has no power to change your life whatsoever. Only Jesus has the power to do that. And if you do not know Jesus Christ, but your name is on a a role, a Baptist role, but you do not know Jesus Christ. You're as lost as you were before your name was ever on that role. It doesn't mean anything. If it's hard for the religious to be saved, how much harder is it going to be for the unbeliever to be saved? We are saved by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. By grace and grace alone.
But if we are saved, genuinely saved, guess what? The Bible says that we would not just be hearers of the Word, we will be doers of the Word. Commit yourself to God and do what? And continue to do good. Continue to do it. There is coming a time when God is going to judge His church. I believe we're a lot closer today than we were yesterday. And I believe we'll be a lot closer tomorrow than we are today. If my question to you is, my dear friends, are you ready? Are you ready for the time that God is going to judge the believers? The unbelievers? The churchgoers? Are you ready? In a moment, we're going to have a time for you to respond. I can't tell you how to respond. All I can do is say, this is what God's Word says, thus saith the Lord. And now you got to say, thus saith me in regard to what I've heard. You're going to respond one way or the other. You're either going to respond like Brother Eugene, amen, or like some, oh me. Oh me. But I want you to know that if you put all your faith in Jesus Christ, He can save you from your religion. And He can give you a relationship with God the Father through faith. Through faith in Jesus Christ. And when you do that, you're saying that you are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and not of your works of religion. Not of your works. But because of Him. So in a moment, we're going to give you an opportunity to respond. Kip's going to come and lead us in a song. I'm going to come down and I'm going to pray. Marcy's going to come down and join me in case you want somebody to pray with you, somebody to counsel with you. You'd prefer a woman instead of a man. We'll be here for you to talk with you. Whatever decision you make, we want to invite you to come. Cassie's going to play. Kip's going to lead us. Would you stand with me as I lead us in a time of prayer? Father God, we come before your presence thanking you for this day. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity you've given to us to gather here today, to worship, to pray, to sing our praises, Father, to give our offerings, Father, to hear Your Word proclaimed. Now, Father, it's our chance, our opportunity, God, to respond to Your amazing love. And Father, we may be going through times of difficulty in our lives. And Father, I pray that the difficulties we are going through, Father, will shape us more and more into your image of your Son and what we're going through. Bless this time, Father. Draw us closer to you. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.